If you have your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 2 as we continue our study through this amazing, exciting book of the Bible that records the life of the early church going through some amazing days, the origin of just an explosive movement of God around the world. And uh, we stand together as a church because of the book of Acts. This wasn't in the Bible, we wouldn't be here. There had to have been pioneers at some point, pioneers that, that started in Jerusalem and then went all the way around the world. And I'm thankful that it made its way all the way to Southwest Kansas and that we have a church to worship at today. So far in the first part of the book of Acts, we've studied several things. First, we, we studied where Jesus gave the early church their mission. Acts chapter one and verse eight, he said, I want you to go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world with the gospel. In other words, I want you as followers of Jesus Christ, here's your mission. Help people find and follow me everywhere. Well, how are they going to get that done? That's what the second sermon was about, where, where we talked about the gift of the Holy Spirit. They gave them, uh, God gave them himself in the form of the Spirit living in them, giving them unction and authority and power to preach the gospel. Then in our last sermon in the book of Acts, we studied how that the Holy Spirit through the preached word of God, cut these sinners to the heart and brought them to a point of belief in the gospel and repentance of their sin. We ended last sermon by by highlighting how Peter's spirit-filled sermon led to 3,000 people getting saved and baptized. Man, it was an amazing day for the early church. In today's sermon, we're going to study what happened in the church Following this historic day of Pentecost, we're going to see what what I believe is the outworking of God's ideal for the local church. God's outworking of of, the outworking of God's ideal for the local church. I want to read verses 41 through 47. That'll be our text today. Acts chapter two, verses 41 through 47. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common. And sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. The title of the message is this, the church as it should be. The church as it should be. What we see is a clear pattern established. That would be continued throughout the rest of the New Testament. And I want, I want to show you the pattern real quick. Number one, the lost were saved. Then they were baptized. Then they were added to the church. Then they were involved in the church. Look at verse 41 in your Bible. Then they that gladly received his 
word. That's evidence that they received Peter's message of the gospel. They believed and got saved. Salvation, number one. What happened after that? Were baptized. This is just the expected next step of every believer. Believers get baptized. Somebody say amen. They were saved, then baptized. And watch this. And the same day, verse 41, there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. This is formal church membership. They were added to the church role. And verse 42, then they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking bread and in prayers. They were involved. Do you see that pattern? This is the ideal for the church today. Yet you know what I see as a pastor happening all around the United States of America? I see what I call Christian cherry picking. A Christian will gladly receive the word and get saved. Who doesn't want to go to heaven? But beyond that, many Christians cherry pick what works best for them. They want enough of church to be helped and to feel like they're right with God but they're not interested in formally being added to the church through baptism or church membership. That's too much commitment today. Yet there are others who don't have a problem getting saved, baptized and added, but that's where it stops for them. They don't get involved. It's not that they're not involved or making a difference anywhere. It's just the church to which they belong is not where they choose to use their time and resources. Sure. They'll have somewhere where people can hold their funeral when they die. But as far as a place that they're heavily invested in, it's not a reality. Well, God has something to say about that. I say, God has something to say about that. Did the singing wear you out? His ideal is that sinners get saved. And then, and then they get baptized. And then they get added to the church. And then they get involved in the church. God desires his people to be all into his church. Not some in, not most in, but all in. At the front end of this message, where do you fall in that pattern? Where yet? Are you saved today? Are you a believer today? I cannot take for granted that every single person under the sound of my voice has placed their faith in the Jesus that we sung about today. I can't take that for granted. If you're not a believer today, today could be the day of your salvation. If you've been saved, have you been baptized following salvation by immersion in a gospel preaching church? Have you been baptized? Baptism is very important. Okay, if you can check off that box. Have you been added to the church? Are you a member of a local church? You don't have to be a member of this one. But do you belong somewhere by formal commitment to a church. Number four, are you involved? Are you involved? Or do we see you once a week? That's a fair question, is it not? I mean, if you, if you showed up once a week to your job, you'd probably get a phone call. If you showed up once a week to practice on your teams, you'd probably get a phone call from the coach. Don't get nervous. I'm not going to call you this week. But it's a fair question, is it not? The pattern established in what we're going to study today is what does church involvement really look like? What does it result in when everyone who has been saved, baptized, and added to the church gets involved? What does that result in? It's an amazing result. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to divide the sermon into three statements. 
All three statements build on each other to form one complete sentence at the end of the sermon. And hopefully at the end, we'll have an idea of the church as it should be. If Fellowship Baptist Church got it right, what would that look like exactly? I'm going to preach fast. You listen fast, okay? Here's the first point. A devotion to spiritual duties from the church. Luke mentions, he's the author here. He mentions four things in verse number 42 that the church was devoted to. He said they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in breaking of bread, and in prayer. Let's talk about those. First, they were devoted to preaching. The early church sat, they gathered so that they could sit under the teaching ministry of the apostles. Who, who by the way, their teachings now written in, in all the pages of the New Testament scriptures. And I, as your pastor, am commanded to preach what they wrote. So I'm teaching you the apostles' doctrine of sort. This shows us that, that, that a commitment to the preaching of the word of God is foundational to the health and growth of a church. There are two responsibilities when it comes to the preaching of the word. There's the responsibility of the preacher and there's the responsibility of the hearer. For me as the preacher, I'm told later on in the book of Acts that I'm to give myself to prayer and to the ministry of the word. When the Apostle Paul was instructing a young preacher by the name of Timothy, he told him this, preach the word. When the Apostle Peter was instructing elders and pastors, he said this, feed the flock of God. 80% of my work week is given to sermon preparation. Normally over 30 hours a week goes into preparing two or three sermons per week. I'm going to be honest, I hope and I pray that when you come to Fellowship Baptist Church, you feel fed. I hope that you sense how serious we are about the preaching of the word. I hope that you can see in all of your pastors that we give ourselves to the ministry of the word. But what good does it do for pastors to give themselves to the word if the members of the church aren't giving themselves to the preaching of the word? Can I give you a simple formula for how you can be devoted to the preaching of the word? It's very simple. Number one, you have to be here. Tell your neighbor who didn't show up today they should have been here. Number two, this is profound, you've actually got to be here. Some of you are here today, but you're not actually here. At least you need to tell your face that. No, how, how easy it is, right? We, are, we carry a distraction in our back pocket every day. We hold it in our hand every day. How easy it is to be here and not actually be here. And some of, it, some of it's fair. Some of it's not just distractions. Some of it's just the fact that we are, we are just stressed. And the burdens of this world are difficult to just let go of when we walk into the doors of this auditorium. It is a battle, is it not, every time you come to church to actually be here. It is. Third, be here, actually be here, and be hungry. First Peter chapter 2 verse 2 says this, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. Have you noticed we have an influx of newborn babes lately? I'm about to announce three babies that were born into this world in the last couple of weeks at the end of the service. And that's, that's like just half of them. And we've got another slew of them coming. Did you know that babies live their lives hungry? And they let their moms know. We should have the same hunger when we sit under the preaching and teaching of the word of God, no matter who's preaching. We should want to be fed. In fact, we should be so hungry that nothing else really matters during the preaching except the word of God. 
We should be so hungry that nothing else is more important on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night or a Wednesday night than to get ourselves and our families under the preaching of the word of God. The fundamental problem today with church attendance is not that people are too busy. The fundamental problem is that people aren't hungry. Hungry people find food no matter how busy they are. Sometimes it's fast food, but you find it. Hungry Christians go to church no matter how busy they are because that's where the food is. This is the foundational spiritual duty of the believer. Gather to hear preaching. Are you devoted to that? Secondly, they were devoted to fellowship. What does that mean? Spiritual togetherness. It means more than just having coffee together and and talk and shop. It means a partnership, a shared interest in the gospel. Biblical fellowship, you trace it to the New Testament, always has a spiritual purpose. Notice down in verse 46, if you have your Bible open, it says, And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. Did you see how how Luke describes their fellowship? It was daily. They were devoted to being together on a regular basis. They didn't come together for an hour on Sunday and call it fellowship. They did life together. And notice they did it in large groups. They went to the temple. They did it in small groups. They went to each other's houses for a meal. Our fellowship should be the same way. We should meet on the Lord's day to fellowship around the word corporately. And we should meet on other days in smaller groups for the purpose of encouraging each other in the Lord. We've tried to facilitate both here at fellowship on Sundays. We gather as a large group like we're doing right now at 1045. We'll do it at six o'clock tonight. We'll do it at seven o'clock on Wednesday. But at 9.45, an hour before this, there are smaller groups scattered all around the building from kids all the way up through adults. We call them connection groups. In larger groups, our fellowship is unique in that, that we get to sing together like we did. Wasn't the singing amazing today? Man, I love that. It does something to my soul. Praying together and hearing the word together. But, but in smaller groups, our fellowship's unique in that we get exchange prayer requests. We get to talk more informally about the word of God and how it applies to our lives. We get, we get to know each other more deeply than we could in a larger group by just seeing the back of somebody's head as we sing together. Ideally, you need to find Christian fellowship in both. You need fellowship through corporate worship and you need fellowship through intimate friendship. You need them both. The early church was dedicated to these things. Notice third, they were devoted to communion. He says the breaking of bread. Now, you may be inclined to ask, isn't that what you just talked about? That they went house to house breaking bread and you called it fellowship. Now you're calling it communion. Which one is it? Yes. There was something that the early church included in their regular meals together. And it was at the end, they included communion. You study church history, it'll teach you that at the end of their meals on the Lord's Day and during the week, the early church would always take time to remember the body and blood of Jesus. Communion was something that was normative among believers. I need to let you in on something. It wasn't once a year. They were devoted to it on a regular basis. That's why we're doing communion more and more at fellowship because I'm convinced that remembering the body and blood of Jesus through this sacred ordinances is good for us. We do baptism more than once a year, I hope. Why not the other ordinance? Nothing is more vital to the church's purity and unity than the Lord's Supper. And on top of that, Christian, listen, it's commanded of you to partake in communion. 
Communion is not an option. If you're a member of Fellowship Baptist Church, you ought to be committed to the partaking of the Lord's Supper. It shouldn't be a take or leave kind of service. It should be a never miss kind of service. To help you with that, our next communion service is Sunday night, November 20th. You ought to write that down. Sunday night, November 20th at 6 o'clock. This will kick off our week of Thanksgiving in a special way. I hope you'll mark it down and be there. Notice, fourthly, they were devoted to prayer. Prayer. This is talking about gathering for the sole purpose of praying together. Now, we understand that the Jews of this day would often go to the temple for corporate prayer three times a day. In fact, in in the next sermon, you're going to see where Peter and John were on their way to do just that. But they also met in each other's houses for prayer together. They were devoted to it. If the church got in a tight spot, you know what they did? They prayed. They didn't go on Facebook. They prayed. They called a prayer meeting, not a gossip session. They called a prayer meeting. Now, I'm not, I'm not quite sure why, 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 why prayer has taken a back seat in churches today, but it has. There could be several reasons for that. I, I think some is that, that in, in our, our low attention spans, preaching and music takes up the order of service because it's more stimulating than prayer. Maybe the majority of Christians today aren't comfortable praying or they're embarrassed to pray or or with our obsession to privacy today, we've made prayer just a personal thing and not a corporate thing. I'm not sure exactly why it's taken a back seat. Here's what I'm sure of. That's not God's idea. God's idea is that every church be a praying church. Not just that every Christian be a praying Christian, but that every church be a praying church. Jesus said, I want my house to be called a house of prayer. That's why I desire to weave into our corporate worship more prayer. If you're here at our last communion service, there were six corporate prayers. There are times in our connection groups where we don't discuss the Bible. All we do is pray together for 30 minutes. And those are my favorite connection group times. We don't need to think of prayer as an accessory to our gathering times or as an opening act to the more important parts of church. No, prayer is as essential as anything else we'll do today. When I pray from a pulpit, when a pastor prays from the pulpit, you ought to be praying with him. When an altar call happens and the Holy Spirit moves on your heart, you ought to humble yourself to come and pray. This church was devoted to the spiritual duties of preaching, fellowship, communion, and prayer. And what we're going to see next is that a devotion to these things yielded an incredible result. Statement number two, a devotion to spiritual duties from the church. Produced a demonstration of spiritual attitudes in the church. It's amazing that when you keep the main thing the main thing, people get along. Look at verse uh, number 43. And fear, you could all say reverence or awe, came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. Let me point out four attitudes as a result of four duties. Number one, they demonstrated reverence. It speaks of fear there. Came upon every soul. Of course, they were in awe because of the miracles that the apostles were able to perform. The miracle in Acts chapter 2 is that they were able to speak in 15 known languages that they had never studied before. There are many other miracles past chapter number 2 that that would have sparked the sense of awe in the church. Now, let me make this point real quick. It's important to realize that this was something unique to this time in church history. God empowered these apostles to perform miracles to confirm that they were his messengers and that their message was valid. 
But with the passing of the apostolic age, the completion of the canon of Scripture as we have it today, the need for such confirmatory signs has ended. I believe today we can determine who speaks for God by comparing their teaching with God's revelation in Scripture. We don't need signs and wonders to validate the Bible. But here's the point. The life and fellowship of this first church, this is so good. It was so genuine, it was so spiritually powerful that everyone inside of the church kept feeling this sense of reverence and awe of what God was doing in their midst. And they weren't awed by the, uh, by the church because of its buildings, because of its programs, or anything reflecting human ability. They were in awe and reverence and fear by the supernatural work of God. Which tells me that when a church is devoted to preaching and fellowship and communion and prayer, they will begin to sense a very tangible sense of God's blessing and power and presence in their midst and sometimes will walk out in complete reverence. How many, raise your hand, have the opportunity to come to our last communion service? Raise your hand if you had the opportunity. A good portion of you. Would you admit that was a powerful service? It wasn't fancy. No sermon. No special music by our vocalist. Just congregational singing, corporate prayer, scripture reading, and the partaking of the elements. But I think that those who attended would agree that there was a sense of awe at what God was doing in our midst. That's what happens when we're committed to the spiritual duties of the church. Notice, secondly, they demonstrated generosity. If you're with me, say amen. Verse 44 and 45. Speak about everyone being together. You know why they were together? Well, many of these converts weren't residents in Jerusalem. They traveled to Jerusalem to participate in the Jewish feast of the Pentecost. Then then the apostle Peter preached. They believed, got saved, got baptized, got added to the church. And they wanted to relocate to Jerusalem, but they didn't have their possessions or the necessary provision to make that relocation. Well, that's where verse 45 comes in. Some of the members saw the need. They sold their, their, their possessions and then used the earnings to give to these new converts. How many would do that today? This is the attitude of generosity that permeated the early church. We'll study in chapter 4 where the church did the same thing again, except this time they sold lands and houses to provide for one another. I know the circumstance is very unique in in the time of action, you're not called upon to go sell your house and give all the benefits to another church member. That's, that's not an imperative in here. But the Apostle Paul does speak of this kind of care for one another later on in the scripture. Galatians 6 verse 10, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are the household of faith. We should be generous toward those outside of our church. That we try to do that through our liberal love events. But we should especially be generous to those inside of our church. Listen, if you're a church member, you should be looking for opportunities to take care of each other. Now, to balance this out, lest you throw a rock at me, Paul does say in 2 Thessalonians that we ought to be careful about enabling laziness in the church. He said, if a man's not willing to work, then he's not, shouldn't be able to eat. But there are times where legitimate needs are represented among our membership. Hardworking people, faithful people. Giving people, serving people fall into times of need and we should be looking for those and be generous toward those when we have the opportunity. You know that's what, what that's going to require of you? Two things. It's going to require sensitivity and it's going to require sacrifice. How do you know 
if, if somebody needs your help tangibly or just your encouraging word or just to be taken out to lunch and paid attention to. How do you know that when you're sensitive to other people when you come to church? We have made church all about us. I'm going to church so the song can speak to me. I'm going to church so the message can speak to me. I'm going to the church so my kids can, can, can be ministered to. We have made church all about us. Church is not just about us. Church is out person next to you, in front of you, behind you, all around you. And that's just not at church. People of God should be sensitive to people's needs when you go to work. When you're out in the community. Have your radar up. How can I be generous and a blessing to other people today? And then it's going to take sacrifice because when God gives you the opportunity, you know how you most naturally live your life and how I most naturally live my life? With closed fist. We are greedy people. We're selfish people. And so when we're sensitive and God gives us that opportunity, we ought to live open-handed to the people of others, even if it inconveniences our current situation. Somebody say amen. They demonstrated, number three, unity. Verse 46 says these people were in one accord. It's a musical term. They were in harmony. They were in unity. This, this is what happens when you're, when you're dedicated to the spiritual duties of the church. It produces this commonness, this, this unity among what really matters. Now, here's what makes this impressive in this church, and I hope you're still listening. They weren't all the same. We studied that a chapter ago. There were all kinds of multiple language, ethnicities, and people among them. On top of that, have you ever thought about this? There were, there were some original long-term members, the original 120. Before these new people ever came along, there was 120 people who had their seat in church. Oh yeah, they had their pew. But when 3,000 people came, they probably had their pew sat in. They had their ministry they had done for years, but when 3,000 people came, it's time to involve other people. Church had been done their way. Their little small group of 120 people. Church had been done their way for a long time with Jesus. And now it's 3,120 people. And you think you do church with 3,120 people the same way you do church with 120 people? Well, try running a school like that. Get a school of 120 and then get a school of 3,120. They're going to be running things different. But yet we read that they're still in one accord. No whining, no complaining, no territorialism. Isn't that great? How is that accomplished? It's birthed out of people that were dedicating themselves to the preaching of the word. When you are dedicated to the preaching of the word, you become less concerned with preferential issues that would divide us. People that were dedicated to fellowship in church and out of church. When you do life together, you get closer to people. This unity was produced because these people did communion on a regular basis. How many know that when you do communion, it makes you think of things things more important, things larger than your little issues. It brings you to the foot of cost and realize you are so blessed that Jesus Christ would die for your sin. And and, and it really helps you get over your pettiness when you participate in communion on a regular basis. And they pray together. I found when you're praying with somebody, it's really hard to fight with them. Unity is the outworking of keeping the main thing, the main thing. Man, I want to preach a lot longer and I got to fly. Give you one more attitude. They demonstrated joy. Joy. I love this. Verse 30. 46 says, they ate their meat with gladness. Who eats their meat with gladness? Can I get an amen on that? If it's the right meat cooked in the right way without ketchup, I eat it with gladness. Who dips their steak in ketchup? Don't, no, put your hand down. This is an invitation. Let's get to the, 
Let's get to the instruments. Let's come up and get this lady saved. Unbelievable. Someone needs to cook your steak right. Anyway, they ate their meat with gladness. Are you hungry? And then singleness of heart. You know what that means? Sincerity of heart. And then they praise God. All terms of joy. They were happy people. Here's what helped them be happy as a church. They had a single heart, a sincere heart. You know what that means? When they gathered to worship, there were no agendas. When they got together to fellowship, there was no favoritism. When they gave to the church, there was no ulterior motive. Put my name in the bulletin because I gave. None of that. They were happy and glad because their hearts were pure and that led them to praise God. That means when you praise God, fruit of your lips giving thanks to his name, book of Hebrews says, it means this, you're telling God, thank you out loud. They would sing to praise God. They would testify to praise God. They would clap to praise God. They play instruments to praise God. They lift their hands and shout to praise God. There was joy in this church. And here's the point. Our church ought to be a happy place. Somebody ought to walk in here and realize that we are serving a risen savior, not having funeral for a dead one. The attitude of joy, it doesn't have to be manufactured or mustered up. You don't have to have a peppy up song to start the service to have joy. Happiness is the outworking of holiness. Joy is the natural result of being uh, devoted to the spiritual duties of the church through which we keep ourselves holy. Get yourselves into the preaching of the word. That'll lead to some joy. Fellowship with other believers. That'll make you happy most of the time if you pick the right ones. I can tell you some people to stay away from. Anyway, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. It's just going to leak every once in a while. Come to communion when we have it. That'll make you happy. Yeah. Yeah. All right, I got to go to the last statement. This is the complete sentence. We're going to bring it to a close. A devotion to spiritual duties from the church. Produce a demonstration of spiritual attitudes in the church. Which resulted in a display of spiritual impact outside of the church. Verse 47 is amazing. It says that that this church had favor with all the people. And through that, the Lord added daily such as should be saved to this church. In other words, the church's devotion to spiritual duties, the church's demonstration of spiritual attitudes toward each other. Watch this. It made them attractive to those outside of the church. This shouldn't surprise us. Jesus told his disciples this would happen in John John chapter 13. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples. If ye have love one to another. You know what Jesus could have told these guys? He knew that they were the foundation of the church. He could have, he could have given them all kinds of, of gimmicks to market their church, grow their church. Because they guys, you know, if you want to get the attention of the lost world, you want to really grow this church, then you need to go buy up a bunch of billboards around Jerusalem, and put your name on them. You need to go purchase ads in the Jerusalem Times. That'll do it. None of those things are wrong, but Jesus didn't start there. Jesus said, if you want to get the world's attention, you don't have to pay for ads. Just love each other. Love a dude that's different than you. Love a mom who parents different than you. Love a person who has different preferences than you. Love a person who has a different skin color than you. Love a person that goes to a different school than you. Love each other, and that is the biggest billboard for any church to have. In other words, take care of things inside the church and God is going to take care of growing our church. Our goal, oh, I want everybody to hear this. Our goal is not to be a big church. Our goal is to be a healthy church. 
Because healthy things grow. Healthy things are attractive. Here's what the church wants to do today. They want to start with verse 47. They want to say, okay, here's our goal. Our goal is to add daily to our church. We want to become a mega church, and I'm not against mega churches. But they, they want to become a mega church, as big as we can get. That's their, that's their headline. And then from that, they think, okay, what do we have to do to get that? The Apostle, Luke does a different thing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He does it the opposite way. He says, do these things, and God will take care of the, us, the rest. Your goal is not growth. Your goal, you know what it is? Dedicate yourself to the preaching of the word. You know what your goal is? Fellowship regularly, small groups and large groups. You know what your goal is? Participate in communion on a regular basis. You know what your goal is? Pray together. Even if that makes you uncomfortable, even if you're embarrassed at first, learn to pray together, to share the needs that you have. Display the attitudes of Christ toward one another, generosity and reverence and joy. Show these things to one another. You do these things, and as a result, I will bring you into favor with the lost world around you. You won't please everybody, and you may not be big like this church was big, but you will be healthy. And according to my providence, I will send you who I want you to minister to. Yeah. We make ourselves attractive by making ourselves healthy. This is the church as it should be. It's how I desire for Fellowship Baptist Church to operate. Not a lot of fancy gimmicks. Just helping people find and follow Jesus. Reminds me of a story I read about Vince Lombardi. You might have heard of him. It was July of 1961. 38 members of the Green Bay Packers football team were gathered for the first day of training camp. What made this unique, it was just following the season where they had that heartbreaking defeat. They squandered that, that... Uh, lead late in the fourth quarter to the Philadelphia Eagles, lost the championship. The Green Bay players had been thinking about this brutal loss for the entire offseason. And now finally training camp had arrived. It was time to get to work and they were waiting for their great coach to give them something just illuminating, something new, something amazing to get them to the next level. Well, their coach, Vince Lombardi, had a different idea. He began the season with the most basic statement of all. You know what he said? Very first thing he said to them. Gentlemen, held up a football. This is a football. The book I read this in talks about Lombardi's return as a coach to the fundamentals. And his radical dedication to three things. Blocking, tackling, and memorizing the playbook. Six months later, the Green Bay Packers beat the New York Giants 37-0 to win the NFL championship. In fact, Lombardi would never lose in the playoffs again. In total, he won five championships in a span of seven years, three in a row, and never coached a team with a losing record. And it started by saying, gentlemen, this is a football. As your pastor today, I want to tell you, fellowship, this is a church. This is a church. A group of believers who are devoted to gather for the preaching of the word, fellowship often, participate in communion, and pray together as much as possible. I'm calling on our church to be devoted to the basics of Christianity. And watch how God uses those things in a profound way.
I want to end how I began. Three questions. Just to help you apply this personally, and I don't want you to hear these as though I'm saying them in a condescending tone or judgmentally to you in any way. I just believe that the word of God demands a response. And I believe you ought to think about how this could apply to your life today. Question number one. If you're not a member of the church, why not? If it's part of the pattern, saved, baptized, added, involved. If you're not a member of the church, why not? It could be because you're not a believer today. Just because you go to church doesn't mean you're part of the church. You're welcome here. I want you to hear that you are welcome here. Just as you are. But maybe the reason why you're not part of the church, been formally added to the church, is because you never placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Never repented of your sin and come to that decision in your life where you gave your life to Him. Maybe because you're just saying, you're not saying no, you're just saying not now. Just something you don't think you're ready for. Well, if, the, if God says this is the ideal, I want to encourage you to make your idea what is God's idea. Number two, if you're not devoted to the spiritual duties of the church by way of involvement, why not? If it's so clear that this is what God expects from Christians, why is church just an add-on to you? Again, I'm not saying it judgmentally. Everybody's at a different spot in their journey. I'm just asking you a question to reflect upon. If you're not involved, why? Why? Number three, if you're not displaying spiritual attitudes toward those inside the church, why? If this was modeled so carefully, there are so many one another's in the New Testament. Love one another, pray for one another, forgive one another, serve one another, give to one another. Provoke one another, encourage one another, comfort one another, receive one another. If this is so obvious in Scripture, why do you have a bad attitude towards somebody today? If, if the single thing that makes us most attractive to the world is our love for each other, why have you stopped loving each other? I'm not condemning you saying you have, but if you have, why? See, the word of God, just like it did with Peter's message, sometimes it cuts to the heart, doesn't it? So as your pastor, I just want to give my best Vince Lombardi impersonation. I don't have a football, but I have this. Fellowship, this is the church. Let's be the church. All God's people said? Would you stand to your feet every head?